You're listening to Every Last Drop Podcast. Join me, Danny, Nick, and sometimes Luke as we explore the relationship between philosophy and art. If you enjoyed today's show and want to contribute to what we're doing, visit everylastdroppodcast.com slash contribute. We greatly appreciate your support. Enjoy the show. Iced tea. It's not hot tea. It's not iced tea. It's something in between. Lukewarm tea. You know, have you ever noticed that nothing is ever... How many things can you think of that really are good when they're, like, lukewarm? It's like everything is either meant to be eaten as, like, hot or drank as a hot hot thing, like a hot beverage, or cold. Yeah, you're right. It's like there's not really an in-between. Can you think of an example of something that's good when it's like just warm or lukewarm, but not hot or not cold? Hmm. Man, that's tough. Pretty much every fruit I like cold. Right. So I guess not off the top of my head. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, because I'm drinking this tea right now, and just uh, it's it's cooled. Sorry. It's How just, dare you? <laughs> it's just cooled down now, and it's in this place where it's like now it's not. Yeah. It's not hot anymore and it's not cold enough to be iced tea. So is it really enjoyable anymore? Huh. Yeah, the the two extremes are what give food and drink um excitement, I guess. Yeah, it's what it's what makes them interesting to you, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Yeah. So Yeah, why don't you tweet us or something? Oh crackers, that? dude. Crackers. <laughs> I mean, that could be one. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They're sort of room temperature. They don't count though. They're just yeah dried bread yeah it's not there's nothing particularly exciting about yeah crackers crackers. you know it's like they're 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 only useful in in relation to something else like Like hot soup cold shrimp on a cracker with cocktail sauce what really yeah dude it's pretty good you gotta try that you're weird i know i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no uh i'm just one of those people that i don't i don't like cold shrimp the ones that like they're cooked but they're cold and you dip it in cocktail sauce and it's yeah. yeah I used to not like them either. Not for me. Something but I, I don't do shrimp. I don't really do shrimp. But yeah. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Every Last Drop podcast, a show dedicated to exploring the relationship between art and philosophy, which sounds fancy, but really <coughs> all that that means is when you see somebody out there who's doing something creative or artistic, all you really see of that is the finished product, right? So if someone's a photographer, you see their photos. If they're a songwriter, you hear their song. Mm-hmm. If they're a filmmaker, you see their film. Yeah. But you don't really get a chance to like, see the behind the scenes Right. On this aspect. show, we're exploring how they got from their... When they conceived the idea of what they wanted to do and then the finished product. And exactly. we're kind of exploring the in-between. How they got there. Yeah. How they got there and why they got there. Yeah. And why they did it this who way. Who and what and the why. Who and the what <laughs> and the why. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that is that is what we do here on the show. And that is what we did here in this interview that we just conducted ah, with uh, yes. my friend Jonathan Swihart and Jonathan is just a really really interesting character uh first off in person he's just a great guy to be around like he is 
so down to earth and relatable and funny. Like he has a great sense of humor and, and he's just a great person to be around. I really love him. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he is. He is. And he's, uh, he's also a really talented person. He, he has multiple, uh, skill sets, I guess, or, uh, you know, a lot of natural talent, but he's, he's developed that into skill. Mm-hmm. See, we're, we're starting now we're connecting the dots. We're synthesizing mm. things that have come in from the past. Mm-hmm. So it's, this is, this show is incremental. Yeah. You know, it's not like, well, you know, these episodes, I'd say most of them, they, they do stand on their own in isolation and make sense. But I think they make even more sense when you've like, when you're listening to everyone. Mm-hmm. You remember when we used to, in school, like we'd have Saxon math. Oh yeah. And I like Saxon <laughs> called themselves like an incremental. Yes. Develop, yeah. uh, whatever. Yeah. Some, the point there being that like. If what, you switch <laughs> curriculums, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, so Saxon's point was, you know, what you learn in lesson one is used in lesson two. Yeah. And what you learn in lesson two is used in lesson three and and so on and so forth, you know. So uh, this show isn't totally incremental like that. But I do think that we we do uh, overlap a lot and we do connect the dots. And uh, that's a piece from uh, from our episode with Joe Gonzalez. Is mm. we we talked about what talent means and what's and what skill means and the difference between the two. And yeah, and Jonathan is a person that has both. He yeah, has, he does. He's got natural talent, and he's taken that and he's developed it into uh, a skill set that's uh-huh. uh, both marketable for hiring him to do things like acting for commercials and uh, doing graphic design for for your your business, um, but. You know, he, he, he uses his natural talent as well, like in his music and mm-hmm. puts out stuff that's for no other reason than just he loves to do it and yeah. wants people to hear it. And, yeah. you know, and so that's pretty much what this interview was all about. It was just digging into uh, his, uh, his, act, his acting and his, mm-hmm. his graphic designing and his music. And so, seeing how they were all kind of intertwined. I yes. really like that part. You know, yes, because, you know, it, it all comes from the same the same kind of uh fountain mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. uh, the the same fountain is is uh, is what does a fountain do a fountain s- shoots out of a body of water into the air yeah and inspires okay. the air with yeah, water vapor exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what i'm saying i guess i guess uh um i'll use a different analogy it's uh all of his artistic endeavors they're like streams that are that are tributaries to a river. They're all fed from the same yeah. source. Yeah. Is that, is that better? Oh, that's I, better. Yeah. That's a lot better. That was, ooh, that was a good one. That was a good one. A good yeah. analogy. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Yeah. That was good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, this one ran a little bit long, but uh, for the moment, we are uh, only releasing episodes once every other week. So I think that there's really no big deal with uh, doing these interviews that run a little long because, you know, you guys don't get to hear from us all that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a good pace for us because, uh, you know, we this isn't the only thing we do. We have a lot of other stuff that's going on, and this is what we're able to handle at this point. Uh, but we would like to, um, in the future, as things pick up, you know, we'll uh, we'll probably pick up the pace for releasing. But this is good for now. So, anyways, yeah. uh, that's about all I have to say for now. Enjoy this interview with uh, Jonathan Swihart, the actor, the graphic designer, and the musician slash songwriter and uh and then we'll we'll join you after that all right enjoy enjoy do you want to keep up with all of the cool stuff that's happening on every last drop head on over to every last drop to find out about everything we do 
from a feed of our most current episodes, blog posts, ways you can get in touch with us, and an opportunity to join our email list so you can get up-to-date information about our latest releases. Haven't signed up yet? What are you waiting for? Go! What's up? Hey, How's it going? You see us? Yeah, yes, I see right. you. Let me, let me angle this a little bit. There we go. What's up, Jonathan? How you doing, man? How's that? Good, man. All right. So, John, John, like you're you're a really talented person. There's there's a lot of things you do. You're not just one thing. You're not just a musician. You're not just an actor. You're not just a graphic designer. You're all those things and more, quite frankly. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna break things up to three parts, and we're gonna focus on those three for uh, for this evening. So, how does that sound? Is that all right? Yes, let's do this. All right, sweet. So let's let's kick things off with uh, let's go with acting. Let's talk about your acting first. So. Uh, one of the things I always like to do is I like to start from the beginning because it it gives everybody and the listeners just this good context for uh, for where the person is coming from and and for me as well because I don't know all the backstory with the people I'm talking with so uh, I always like to hear it. So when did you decide you wanted to get into acting and and then the follow up to that is was that a decision that was intentional on your part? Or were there just other circumstances in your life that naturally kind of led you to it? It wasn't on your radar, but it kind of happened. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. Originally, I I grew up in the church as a, a pastor's kid. Right. And I uh, found out, I want to say right around 17 years old, maybe 18, that... I was drawn to the stage and entertaining people. I mean, I, I always liked entertaining people just mm-hmm. uh, among friends and, and even just meeting people. But I realized that doing this on stage would reach so many more people. And so I had started getting involved at the church with little plays and dramas and things that they were doing. And it was probably about a year in that I decided I would like to go to college and study this for a little bit. Gotcha. Cool. So you actually, you studied acting in college as well. That was like your major. I did. Hmm. That was my major originally. And I studied that and as a minor in music and the theater approach, I realized wasn't really what I was into, a lot of the people I was right in class with. Was that the kind really... of the that was the angle that you had? It was uh, it wasn't just like acting; it was like theater acting, like for plays and things like yeah. that. That's what it was. Yeah, it was it was all play type stuff. Yeah, and that's all really offered. They didn't have any film school at the time. I don't even know if they do anymore. But I went to Bethel College in Mishawaka, Indiana, uh-huh. and. I just, over time, just thought, man, I just don't like the the setup of entertaining in front of a live audience to do this mm. all the time. I think I'd rather have take after take and give the best performance I can to yeah. the director so they can chop that up and do their best, you know? So, Interesting. Yeah, after some time, it's just, it, it did become very draining because I did that all the time. I was always involved in something on stage so uh, that's where 
I didn't love it, but it, it, I, I shouldn't say I didn't love it because I, I did love some aspects of it. I did love mm-hmm. when I was able to do a comedy uh, or if I was able to take the audience in a different direction from what they may have known me to do comedy. And then mm-hmm. I do something really serious and then it throws them off it's like, oh, he can he can actually do a serious role. Right. Uh, like so, Adam Sandler. No one thinks of him as the, the serious type <laughs> actor. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why you'd introduce him and bring him into the story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's a better example, but right. That's just, that one just came to mind. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's a lot to be said about being diverse and I've, I've really enjoyed doing that aspect, but as far as, so you like showing people that you had like a range. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And surely you liked, I I bet you, you, I know you're the type of person that you, you may have not loved the plays and stuff, but I bet just getting the reaction out of people was something you enjoyed. Am I right about that? Yeah. Absolutely. So if you were going for funny to have the audience like hysterically laughing was very satisfying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was. I it was a mix of things because um I still do get very hyped up anytime I do, you know, uh, a live show of any sort. Uh mm-hmm. even if I'm going to do a film, I get butterflies and get all hyped up and Right. It's a good thing because I'm able to channel that into a performance that I think is better because of that. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, that it stirs me up and, and I feel like when I can get an audience to react to just even blinking or something really that could be basic. I mean, I, it just gives you a lot of power in those moments. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So that's, that's a good setup. So the next thing I wanted to ask was, is there a certain uh, a philosophy or, or an approach that you have to acting? And if so, you know, what do you bring to the table as an actor that makes you different than anybody else? What makes you special and unique? Your approach. That's, that is a good question. You know, I think that authenticity is the key. I think if people can see that you that's, are That's really interesting that you'd say authenticity something. because like it's I would say almost say that's counterintuitive because I thought the whole idea behind acting was being somebody who you aren't. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's Yeah, explain that. I think that's the I think that's the twist that people get into is, you know, you go to a movie to watch some, you know, an actor play so-and-so, do their biography. But the truth is, you know, um, let's say, well, Denzel Washington, if you're going to see a Denzel Washington movie, he essentially is himself in a lot of ways, but he's like Mm -hmm. the darker version of himself a lot of times. There you go. In his attitude and that kind of thing. But he's still Denzel Washington. Um there was a class that I took for for acting just a couple years ago and 
they talked about that kind of thing. There was an actor in uh, Wag the Dog that uh, was my coach, and he said that you're you're not really someone else. You're actually portraying a version of yourself. So mm. it allows you to be yourself in that anger or in that silliness. You know, that's what's really coming out. So, hmm. yeah, that's how I see it is, is, is kind of this exaggerated version of myself. It's still trying to, to play, play it down a little bit, um, depending on what the, the direction of the film or, or commercial is. Interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. So do you feel like as an actor that that takes some pressure off of you that you don't have to conjure up something that is totally outside of yourself? Like you're just getting to show a different side of you or I mean, you gave the example of like showing anger, showing mm-hmm. anger kind of through your own lens. Yeah. Like this is yeah. really interesting concept to me. I never thought of it this way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's there are elements where it pushes you to some extended parts that maybe are untapped, you know, where as an example, my wife and I were in a commercial, I think it was sometime last year, just several months ago. And we were the main characters and we're supposed to be upset at each other. Right. And we never yell at each other. That's just not, a normal thing for us to do, but, um, we got in front of the camera and I said, Elizabeth, I'm going to lay into you right now. That's what's going to happen when this thing starts rolling. And which is not you on a normal day at all. Right? (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, I'm not a yeller by any means. So you guys have nothing to worry about, (laughs) but I, I basically, gave her that quick warning and once they said rolling i just laid into her and i was all in the game and then she reacted out of that and mind you this is not in this is not a rehearsal this is while they're recording so Mm. she responds out of that as well Mm. and it was authentic and she was shaking and just freaking out on me and it was so i mean maybe it was relieving for her to get all that angst out i don't know Uh but It still was just just the kind of thing where it's it's uh, it's authentic, but it's not going to you know this extreme level. If that makes any sense, I don't know. I got yeah. you. Yeah, that yeah, that's a, that's a good example. So speaking of some of the things you've done, I know you've been in some commercials and in, in different things like that. Uh, how does how does somebody who wants to get into acting? How do those opportunities? come up how does that happen i mean you don't just make a phone call and and say hey i heard you're doing a commercial i'm your guy right i mean what yeah behind this take us behind the scenes for a minute and tell us about that process yeah i mean i think the overall picture just in art it's a tough thing to just say here i am use me in this like you really you really can't do that no you can't i mean on just about every level of art, it's it's really a beast that that is re- is super hard to tackle. Yeah, right. But in the in the acting field, you know, I re- I honestly believe for us 
it has been more of divine appointments and a and a God given opportunity uh, more than it is about my abilities or um, the connections I have. Even right. though I think that the connections are good, I I always encourage anyone to get plugged in and start meeting people they don't know and and get uncomfortable so that those things can happen. Mm-hmm. But it's not. I don't think that there's like a one, two, three step that always assures someone because I've tried to follow a lot of those Mm -hmm. steps and I've found that it just doesn't work. So yeah, there isn't an equation. It's not, it's not fair, you know, to, to, to say, well, this worked for me, therefore it will work for you. But I will say that plugging away at something and continuing your craft is a big deal because people really won't notice you if you're not doing your craft. If I'm not making songs and letting people know about the songs, they're not going to know to book me for a gig. Mm -hmm. So I think staying active is at least a good starting point to, to, to launch from. Like that's bare minimum that needs to be happening. Exactly. Like, like you, you have got to get your work out there. Yes, for yeah. sure. No, I mean, I think that's that's good advice. It's it sounds overly simplified, but I mean, I think too many people ignore that or just pass it over like casually, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know, kind of deal. <laughs> but but that's yeah. But that's important. That really is important. But yeah, so well, you know. As I mentioned with the divine aspect, you know, it's like, it's not typical for a husband and wife to work together, uh, you know, for lead roles. It's just not a thing. You know, it's very possible you could have, you know, Mm -hmm. both of you show up to be extras in a film or something like that. That's easy to do. But time and time again, when we get to work together, that is what blows my mind and i have to say like that is a god-given appointment there's just no other way to look at it absolutely because it's so unusual for something like that to happen so yeah it's i'm sure it must be a blessing to get to work with your wife in that capacity that often not just as like a one-off one time like maybe every once in a while like it it's pretty pretty regular thing right it's it has been I mean, for for the ones we have, we haven't done a whole lot, but what we have done together, I've been super surprised, and yeah. we just we look at each other like, here it is, this happened again, and it totally makes sense. But the last one we did was about marriage, and we care about influencing other people and and marriages as well, and that it was along those lines. It was just there it is again. Another opportunity, husband and wife who are actually married, playing out these different roles yeah. and then executing something that's going to draw people to come to learn how to fix their marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So how about uh, any any funny or interesting stories that you have to share about being on a set as an actor, just like any times you can remember where something really unusual out of the blue or just interesting or funny happened? (laughs) Any that come to mind? Yeah. Uh, I do have one that comes to mind just because people have asked me about 
this commercial that I think is still running. And the, the final take that they ended up going with was one that they wanted me to be more of like an Ace Ventura type character. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware that it was going to go that direction. Um, was this the one where you did the, of, uh, where you like were doing the, gar- the garage door opening or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that one. Oh. That was uh, overhead door. Yeah. You and, need to send that to me so I, and th- so I can link to it in the show notes because it's really funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can send you my reel too. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, that particular one, the director had hired me to do a commercial. I think that one was the first one with my wife. And then he had me come out maybe like a week or two later for a different commercial. Mm-hmm. And all I knew is that I was supposed to be this jerk that's pitching, you know, some high price to somebody uh, as a garage door. And so we take the first take, and I think I did just maybe like a nerdy version. And he said, okay, you know, give me another one. Give me another another version, you know, uh, maybe just kind of like a straight character, you know, kind of flat. Okay, I, I did that. Then I did another one where I just I had to overbite, and uh, then I think the last one he said, "I just just do some Jim Carrey. Just go ahead and do some Jim Carrey. Just throw some Jim Carrey in there." <laughs> and so, <laughs> knowing that he's, I mean, he's a huge Jim Carrey fan, so that was that was something that I, I knew he was going to get a kick out of, but I didn't know if they would actually save it. So I went ahead and did it. And that was the one they decided to keep. That was the hmm. final take. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. definitely be linking to that one in the show notes because it's good. By the way, I don't know if, you, if you're if you aware of this, but uh, you did a, a Family Express commercial that's still being played at uh, VU basketball games. Is that right? Yeah, because hmm. I go to the VU basketball games as often as I can because I'm a big fan of the team. And usually yeah. around halftime, they still play it up on the on the marquee there. All right. Yeah, well, every, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, every time I see it, I always get a kick out of it because I'm like, I know those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was kind of a tight turnaround for that one. They, uh, a number of these have been. That one, they wanted me and Elizabeth to learn some lines. It was like a day or two before. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of a, a rush thing. But yeah. Super fun, great, great crew. Oh, it looked like you had a great time, just the way that it turned out. By the way, Family Express, for those of you who are not from Northwest Indiana, is a chain, it's a local chain of like gas station convenience stores, kind of like 7-Eleven, essentially. I go a lot. Yeah. yeah. Although it depends on where you I, live, because some 7-Elevens do have gas and some don't, but this one does. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you... If you go out west or east coast, the Seven Elevens have gas. But, Didn't know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So anyway, let's let's switch gears and move into your uh, into the next phase here. We want to talk about your graphic design. So once again, to to set the stage and give context, how'd you get into graphic design? Yeah. So as I had mentioned with theater, I was getting burned out with that, and was thinking, wow, I just, 
I don't know what to do. I know I like art, but I'm I'm really stuck here. Hmm. And so my dad suggested getting involved in graphic design, and so I your dad suggested it a bit. My dad suggested that. Yeah, interesting. Mm. I wonder what what made him think of that. Do you know? I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think that he's he had noticed that I am just creative, but I don't know if yeah. he knew to what level it was going to be at that point. Mm-hmm. Were you good at drawing? So, not really. No. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, if if I was born like 20 years before. There's no way I would have been able to do graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> like modern technology I mean, has enabled yeah. that for you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure people would say, oh, no, don't play down on it. But it, it really is the truth. I, I'm not what you would think of as like the real deal, original graphic designer. But I do love to montage and just stick things together and... I, I do draw. I can pull off some illustrations and stuff, but it's mm-hmm. it's uh, not something that in you know we play a game in Pictionary. It'll reveal everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it was your dad who suggested it, and then you started looking into it. Yeah, this was yeah, was I this after it, so. uh, after school after school stuff happened, like post college, or was this in the well, middle of I, college? Give us an idea this of the time frame. Transferring from Bethel College to an Ivy Tech online school. Okay. Uh, yeah, I ended up doing a few years of that and got a certificate, you know, claiming that I did these classes right. and <laughs> just started doing it on my own for the most part. I mean, I, I've had a few graphic design jobs that were official, but for the most part, I've done a lot on my own for many, many years. Gotcha. Yeah. So what's typically uh, your process when you're doing work for a client and how is it different um, if you were doing work for yourself, if it is different? Like is what's the difference between those two if there is one? I'm sorry. I missed, I missed half of that. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, what's typically yeah, your speak up? Yeah, what's typically your process uh, when you're doing work for a client, and is it different at all if you're if you're doing work for yourself? Is the you know the workflow? How do they differ if they do? Uh, well, you know, there's all kinds of clients as far as you know types of clients. Yeah. So I, I think it varies a little bit. But some of my, if I could say some of my favorite projects are the ones that they say, hey, you know, we already trust you. We've seen your portfolio. Mm. Um, We're going to give you X amount of dollars. Do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's that's the best case scenario. Those are the ones that I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's, it's highly managed by the person that hired me. So they may say, Hey, you know, that little elephant that you have in the corner of the paper, can we just nudge that just a little to the right, mm-hmm. maybe down a little, just nudge down, 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 down. Yeah. No, you know what? Let's not even do an elephant. Let's put a snake in there. And so <laughs> it's just, uh, not really your ideal kind of client. So mm-hmm. I, 
I tend to enjoy the ones that they just say, hey, you know, you are, we picked you because we know that you're creative, and if you can pull off this idea that we have in imagery form, pull it from a spreadsheet and just make it look likable, hmm. then uh, let's do this. Yeah. Okay. Huh. I don't, does that help answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think because what you're, you're distinguishing there between clients that are going to be kind of uh, almost try to micromanage you a little bit and be nitpicky about things versus those who just let you be free because they, they've already seen the evidence of what you do and they, and they just want to go with that. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, much exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. So one of the, I, this is one of the things that I, when I talk about you as a graphic designer, the number one thing in my mind is the time when you did some work for Avid. And for those who oh, aren't yeah. aware, Avid is is a is a ginormous company. It's uh, best, well, at least in my mind, best known for being the company that uh, makes Pro Tools, which is the number one industry leading software program for audio. Um, we use we use this acronym DAW, which is Digital Audio Workstation. So you know that just means anytime anybody's recording any audio or um, in studios making music and stuff like pretty much every studio in the world uses pro tools and that's avid and they also do uh i think they have video software and and just big 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 company that does a lot of media stuff and creative type things and you landed a gig for them doing some design and yeah the the cool thing about it was it's not like you were just doing something that was uh, like on the side or that was going to be kind of on some web page that not many people go to, but it was like right on their home page. Yeah. <laughs> and you did this. And I just thought that was really, really cool. So how did that gig come about? How do you get a gig for a big, huge company like Avid? Well, that was, that was through someone that Elizabeth knew who was in the graph. She was already working for Avid, and she had her plate full, and I had done some stuff for her in the past, and she said, I got a good gig for you. If you want to jump on here, it might be a month or two, and uh, I would love to have you on the team. So I ended up teaming up with her, and all of this was remote. Um, there's two of us in Valparaiso at the time working for Avid. And then there was another guy, I think he was in Colorado doing another element of design. Um, and then Boston. So we would have these conference calls and they would tell us what they're looking for. And then we essentially would tell them what they're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we, we had a really good time. It was just her and I hanging out in an office and just like cranking out idea after idea until we got it right. And definitely a worthwhile experience. Yeah, that sounds great. How does how does the approach change for you, if at all, when you're doing work for a big company like Avid versus uh, just a smaller client, you know, someone who isn't? I mean, obviously, you just pointed out one of the differences, like you're having these conference calls and meetings and stuff, just because yeah. big companies do that. But I mean, I'm talking about for you and your workflow, does that 
change anything for you and your mindset? Or do you just say, yeah, I'm just, I'm me. I do me regardless of who I'm working for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Well, I think there are pluses and minuses to the bigger companies. The bigger companies in a lot of ways can appreciate the big city design that's a little more expanding in their ideas. And and I think that I'm more drawn to that because they're willing to push the envelope a little bit more than, you know, a local salon or something like that. Um, But then there's also a combat that's going on because you come up with a design, you present it, it's absolutely the best thing you've done in in a long time. And you get five people that love it, and then there's that one person that says, I don't like that color. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out that one person is like the decision maker mm. for that. It's the right? CEO, yeah. So you find yourself going, all right, I can't believe that this is not going to work out and you just, you know, it's a conference call. So you're just going, ah, ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. No problem. I'll change out the color. No big deal. <laughs> and you know, hang up and, ah, oh, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. But it, that's the thing is it, it comes down to that one person. So in the big scene, it does get a little bit frustrating with that. It's kind of a, Big government versus small government, I suppose. Yeah, like big bureaucratic red tape versus not, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like some of the small businesses, they're going to say, oh, you charge how much an hour? Okay, yeah, that looks good. Let's just go with that. And Mm -hmm. and then they, they, they call it done. But the bigger companies will say, oh, we got time to make mistakes. You know, we'll just keep paying you. Right. And so... Sometimes that's fun, you know, but but for me, I just like to create and move on and create something else. If my, if I have to keep creating and creating, then I just go dry and go, I don't, I don't have any more ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I think this is relevant. Are you, would you consider yourself to be a person that is an overthinker and do you get, does that does that impact or influence your work when you're doing a project like you did for Avid? Do you get into that overthinking territory thinking, oh, is this really, you know, like almost like second guessing? Like you have... You what have is this... that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking you, if you're, are you that type of guy? Like does that, does that affect your workflow? Like you're, uh, I don't know, maybe this is an, it's an issue of confidence. Like, do you, do you have that confidence knowing that what you're doing is excellent and they're going to like it versus second guessing yourself and, and like continually questioning yourself and saying, is this going to be what they're looking for? Are they going to like it? I'm almost nervous to present it to them. What side do you lean more towards? I love that question because it's, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that and it's, a really important thing to have confidence in what you're doing. And I would say I definitely have confidence in what I'm doing, but I, I am very analytical. So 
I, I do think about the different a- angles and aspects. And if somebody does give criticism, I try to get in their head and, and see it from their view. Um, so I think where it gets to be a difficult spot is if I know the people that I'm talking to are not creative and they're not capturing the creativity and why it's a good idea, then that, that's where it feels like it's a little more complicated. But I like to, um, to, to bring, to kind of push it a little bit, give some ideas, and occasionally I hear some, you know, like a, 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 say the boss of a company say, you know what, uh, this, is, this is actually too creative for us. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> this, is, this is, might be for like a bigger company than myself. Uh, I, I don't think we can use it. And, and I respect that. Yeah. Because they, they, they have a better idea of, of what they're looking for. Right. And, and it's not like I work at that business and I've met all their clients and know what he's right. what his angle is so and that's a different story because if they say that. something like that they're not it's not like they're shooting you down and saying they don't like it they're just saying that yeah. it's almost like they're saying this is this is too good or this is too this is too much hype for us you did a good job yeah. but we can't use it because it's just a little too much for us <laughs> which is different than just being shot down and saying we don't like this at all go back to the drawing board yeah yeah, well, you know, in that particular situation, the the uh, guy I was going to for this project, uh, going back and forth with, he had wanted me to make some business cards, and the whole idea of their company is to convert a building from something that looks bland or kind of busted up and make it a really hop in space. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody comes to me and says, I want this to be very creative, I want this to be out of the box, then, and that, that's how I think anyway. So I'm just like, all right, go on, go on, because you know, you're on my level. And then I present something that for this client was really creative. It was these two translucent pieces that come together there's 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 uh, both of them have these foreign objects on them mm-hmm. and when you bring them together it forms the name of their company and i had presented that as a prototype that i had printed out and cut out myself on um transparency sheets and i got the shaking head of I don't even know what to do with this. This is just—I mean, I was just hoping you were gonna put some fun colors on a regular size business card. <laughs> and so it was too it, out of the box. It was, and had I known that from the get-go, we could have saved a lot of time. Right. But I think that when people approach me and say they want something creative, they don't really understand that my my mind goes pretty deep and pretty far and so i have to ask a lot of questions up front and say mm-hmm. so when you say modern you mean 80s right <laughs> oh yeah i mean when someone says creative to you 
they need to understand that like your version of like extremely boring and plain is like their version of very creative in most cases i bet (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's you know i don't i think it's funny because i don't mean to to slam on them because that's the reason someone goes to me is for the reason of of getting something creative and so there have been plenty of times that i have to ask the right questions and once they get the right questions i know exactly what to deliver and then we're all set yeah and that's something you had to learn through experience right yeah absolutely because there was there was a client that said she wanted something modern and she literally meant 1986 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i I didn't know that until the end and she was so frustrated that i had (laughs) presented her with something that didn't look like her idea of modern yeah i mean that's that's got to be an example that's like that's like an extreme case where there was like a big gap between what she meant and what you meant yeah so i've learned to ask a lot of questions and there's so much that's bypassed questions are the key to so many things (laughs) yeah yeah are you the kind of guy who when you have a project that you want to start uh, before you even have an idea, do you just open your software and just, you know, from the beginning, just open it up and see where things go? Or do you, are you the kind of person that needs to think about it for a while, take a walk or something, and then, you know, open up your, your software? Do you, how do you, how do you go about doing that? Just curious. Yeah. Like, do you is like to plan? Like a, yeah. Is that for like a design project or? Yeah. Or... Yeah. I mean, you can, okay. I'm sure it applies to music too, which we'll get to, but yeah, mm-hmm. just in terms of design for, for right now. Okay. Yeah. For design, if it's a client that just needs a quick turnaround, I don't take time to think about it too much, mm-hmm. but if they, if they have a larger budget, I will sometimes just sit and grab whatever's nearby, sometimes even just an empty spot in a magazine and start drawing out an idea i think those are some of my better ideas when i don't just jump right in yeah um i can do a lot of stuff just jumping right in but i think some of my best are when i actually just lay out on the floor and think it out Mm. and in the end it's i think there's something to be said about the creative process in that way when you erase all of the imagery or the competition that you could look up or all the, you know, Behance mm-hmm. objects that, uh, that somebody else has created and just get in your own headspace and think about the whole goal of the mm. project and then execute from there. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now we can transition and go to music. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this, this might be the best part. At least, I th- this is where I'm going to connect the most because I'm a music guy for sure. So just like the uh, other two, we've, we've got to set the stage and start from the beginning and give that context. What, what's your beginning like in music? W- what got you into music? What, what was your start? Why don't, you, why don't you start there for us? Okay. Well, you know, to start off, I'd say musical influences that I've had have been through genres of hip-hop, trip-hop, alternative rock, mm-hmm. um, acapella, did I say acapella stuff? 
No, no. Acapella. I like, I've liked a lot of acapella stuff from early on. Uh, it's just really intrigued to me, all the range that, that can happen there. But I've especially been drawn to pioneers in music. Um, there's something that really fascinates me about that, and I don't know if that's just because I'm naturally creative in my thinking or that I just appreciate someone that starts ground that's never been broken before, and it's just a super brave thing to just jump out there. So uh, some of the first few things I remember standing out to me would be hip-hop. I had a neighbor down the street who introduced me to crisscross. What the heck is that? (laughs) Well, do you know the song? Crisscross to make you jump, jump. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I do know that. I don't think I've heard that one. <laughs> I would, I'm sure a lot of people would say it's very forgettable, but that <laughs> is one of the first experiences I had with hip-hop and then, you know, Run DMC and some others in the mix that uh, uh, Public Enemy was another one. I just was just listening that. to that and thinking, man, these guys are onto something. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to take this in. And at that time, you know, that's a, you know, early nineties and I grew up in church. And so I right. had, you know, I mean, like, yeah, the, you're a pastor's that, kid, a pastor's kid that could only listen to the radio for the most part. And so I did not really have, much of a scope outside of Twyla Paris, you know, <laughs> Sandy Patty, some of those, Darlene I didn't know Check. what anything was outside of Petra. Right. That was your version of rock and roll. That was something that, you know, that Except was for maybe Striper. That... <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. That was acceptable. That kind of stuff was in a place that I wasn't really, into and so hearing those beats i had to immediately grab my some of my dad's gear he had a microphone and a tape player and a a few other things that i just started recording myself making beats with my mouth into the microphone trying to see what would happen and i also had a boom box that i i think i got for like a christmas gift and uh I just ran those tapes out. I worked super hard in trying to figure out how do they make these beats and how can I do that with my mouth and how can I overdub because I wasn't using any DAW software or anything like that. It was just cassettes. So uh, I ended up creating beats with my mouth and then doing the whole acapella thing and figuring that out and from there it just intrigued me as as years went on as i would mess with different types of software or just grab whatever i had near me and try and play on that um it made a lot of sense as to why artists like radiohead and beck and portishead and lauren hill and beastie boys all stood out to me how about earth suit yeah, I did like it. Yeah, too. sure. Yeah, definitely early mute math. Yeah, that 
that music definitely makes me think of you because you because they combine the rock and the hip hop and the just a dash of reggae too, you know, and just kind of yeah, like this kind of weird stew that's different, you know. Yeah, yeah. you know that was an interesting one because that was in the the Christian mix of there you go of artists and so there was the Earth Stew and there was another one Makala. There's a there's Dan Makala who does some producing. Mm-hmm. and he had one album that he put out but i remember listening to both of those over and over and over yeah and earth suit was one of those phenomenons where it was just like is this punk is this reggae is this hip-hop is what is this you know yeah you mentioned pioneering and i think those guys they were pioneering with what they were doing and especially I think that Earthsuit record was, uh, what, 2000 was when it came out? Year 2000, 2001, something like that. So, you know, that was, that was, so that was your time when you were like being formed with your tastes and stuff like that. But, you know, I was just a kid. Um, Yeah, I think what's interesting about that is like, that was at a time when like, you wouldn't think any music that would be under the moniker of Christian wasn't known to be like innovative or pioneering or, or really pushing the envelope at that time yet there they were yeah. and they were and they were at that time yeah yeah it was really hard to find that and so i i just tip my hat to some of these artists that are being authentic and they're putting out stuff that really gets you to think man I thought that what I was putting out was on the edge and I really need to up my game. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they put it at a level where it's kind of hard to reach. So uh, one example would be my first favorite alternative rock album, which I think is speaks to what alternative rock really was. And that Creed. was Beck in his Odelay album. What's that? Oh, I thought you were going to say Creed. (laughs) (laughs) This is the part where you just erase. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Or or Jeremy Camp, Christian Creed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, not really pioneers, for sure. Uh, uh, Joking, of course, but... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's our little inside thing. Exactly, yeah. But with... With uh, with Beck, I mean, he was he was linking up with the Dust Brothers, making stuff that wasn't out there, even to this day. I mean, people can't really replicate that. And same with Radiohead. I didn't really get into them until Kid A. I didn't even know much about them. I think I knew yeah. maybe one song from like the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. It was right. It's a fan. Song, yeah, probably uh, talk show host, I think is the name of the song. Yes, good yeah, call. it's a great that song. One. Oh, my yeah, so good. Yeah, hey, I mean, and okay, so, computer yeah, is a that. fantastic record, wouldn't yeah, be the first time it was mentioned yeah. on this podcast either. I, you know, I heard Jeremy mention it on your podcast, yeah, and I think, yeah. uh, if I am not mistaken, Todd Gummerman from Mute Math may have mentioned Radiohead as well. I mean, it's I mean, yeah. that's how 
that's how influential those guys are. There's just so many people that heard that. For them to have done what they did back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I, I think they were ahead of their time. Absolutely. Yeah, for me, I was introduced to Kid A as a first album, and then I went back to here. OK, computer, because once I was sucked in on Kid A, I thought I got to hear the whole catalog. Mm -hmm. I got to go back in time and see what this is all about. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. OK, computer is definitely on the list of top favorites. Mm -hmm. So so how about then your music then? So when the average person were to listen to your music, you know, let's be honest, there's there's a good chance they're probably going to think that it sounds kind of strange. And they're probably yeah. going to be taken aback and thrown off a little bit. So, how yeah. would you explain? How would you explain to that listener what's happening in your music? Well, you know, my music is very ADD friendly. <laughs> Can you explain what that means? You know, I would say it's it's unintentionally genre bending, and it's it's created how i guess if you were to get into my head it's it's a good representation of how often i'm shifting gears <laughs> <laughs> but i do think it's it is well what, okay so when you think about how often we skip songs anymore yes i just realized uh, i think a couple years ago that there's a reason why I was born at the time I was. And I, I know a lot of people don't always understand my sound, and it doesn't make sense to some people. Um, but being in the skip generation, I think it is pretty fitting for anyone that wants to listen without skipping, yeah. if it were an option. You know, if they're not offended by the sound. But if, yeah. were, if you're really wanting to listen, it often goes on some sort of a journey and that's just how I like music. I mean, it does it does go back to some of my early influences, mm. uh, you know, of like I mentioned with Beck and and Beastie Boys and Dust Brothers. You know, that Dust Brothers Fight Club soundtrack is an example of, you know, shifting gears, but it's also a soundtrack. And I tend to lean towards that mood shift that happens um, naturally for me but maybe not as natural for those hearing it the first time. Gotcha, gotcha. So do you think do you think it's even possible for just the average listener to be able to really get it? Or do you think, or do you just tend to think, you know what, forget about them. They're not going to get it. They probably never will get it. So I'm just going to try to focus on the people who seem to at least understand what's going on, have some kind of understanding, like people that are into niches that are similar or at least appreciate niche kind of things. Do you try to focus yeah. more on those people when you're presenting your music or talking to music with those people? Or do you have that desire for, for it to be accessible for everybody? Yeah, that's a good point. I I have had moments where I have to think on that one. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, have you ever seen an example say, of somebody who's kind of 
come around, let's say, like at first they hear what you do musically and they don't really get it, but over time they start to understand it. Have you had some experiences like that with some people? Yeah, I have and had appreciate that experience it. with a few people. Yeah, I think maybe some of it has to do with live performance. If somebody can see a live performance of something that doesn't seem like it would make sense otherwise, I think that's where the the shifting starts to begin. Mm-hmm. Like that's As the in, best way to win somebody over for them to see it live. I think so. If they can do a really fantastic delivery of it, you know, I think James Blake is an example. Uh, Sun Lux is another example. Those guys go into the studio and they make stuff that could sound like it's awkwardly cut from, you know, reel to reel and somehow execute that on the stage or even do a rendition of their own song, like a remix of their song in, in a sense. I think that that sells people because then they say, okay, they're not just pushing buttons like we thought they were. They actually can play this music out and they're really, really gifted at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't claim to be you know, a super talented, multi-instrumentalist kind of guy. I can play different instruments. But I, I just tend to think in a way that isn't necessarily favorable for the masses, but I think, like you said, it is more specific for those that care about groups, uh, you know, like doing stuff that like Flying Lotus and Mind Design are doing, um, and as far as a target market is concerned. But right. I still have yet to catch the eyes of those of those people because that's a very specific group it is you know you're not doing like one one five six four pop songs yeah hey yeah i mean i like to do songs where you know you're switching from like three four to four four and it somehow makes sense but you wouldn't typically do that i have one song in my last album that i did that was uh i was rapping to over a three four track that i created and that's that almost never happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people their 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 ears and their minds aren't conditioned, and if that's the right word, for lack of a better word, to like like they're not ready for. Uh, like, have you ever seen Have you ever seen Back to the Future? Part oh, one. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. remember when he gets up on stage at the dance and he plays Johnny Be Good, and then it just devolves into chaos and he just starts ripping and shredding on the guitar and everybody at first is loving it and enjoying it. And then when he starts going nuts and doing this really rock and roll stuff, he goes from doing cause Johnny be good was a big song in the fifties and still a very famous song. So it was like, it was relevant for that crowd. It was like fresh. But then when he goes into like the guitar solo shredding thing, he jumps ahead to his time, the 80s, and starts doing kind of like a Van Halen deal. And then all of a sudden, everybody's just like looking at him like a deer in the headlights. Like, what the heck is that? Like, it's this outer space music or something. And I I almost think to use that picture, there's probably some people that would react that way when hearing your stuff. Like, it's just ahead of what they're 
conditioned to hear. You know what I mean? That, that could be. I've never heard that analogy, and that's pretty pretty awesome. And uh, thinking of it as going back in time, in a sense. <laughs> but but yeah, I think your stuff is true. ahead it's of the time. Very... Oh, well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I really do think a lot of your elements are things that are not commonly applied or just it's just very out of the like you said you wanted to be out of the box with your graphic design approach and, and I think the same is true in your music but anyway yeah yeah I think it's it is all encompassing I'm I'm never trying to create something that's just strange or weird just to be weird or try to be this you know top 10 hipster you've ever met it's it's more of a uh an exciting journey that's going on in my head. And this is just yeah. how it unfolds. And I often have created a sound, created these tracks, will walk away at the end of the night and be very discouraged and upset at myself for having even wasted my time on it. And then go listen to it in the morning just to give it another shot before, you know, pitching in the trash and actually I'm usually sucked in and think, why did I think this was terrible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That perspective shit that yeah. happens. Sometimes you go to bed and that's all it takes for you to see things differently the next day. Yeah. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Curious about your kind of your creative process and in, in songwriting. Do you feel like you have any kind of techniques that you use, different methods that kind of set yourself aside from, from other writers? Is there any specific, um, routines that you go through or something that just separates you from uh, the normal writing process. Yeah, give us the inside look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say definitely I had somebody pointed out to me one time. They said, uh, you know, you basically just take whatever you have and you make something into it. Hmm. Because, you know, I don't have several guitars sitting around. I don't have multiple keyboards. You know, I, I have a very basic setup. And if that means I'm going to grab a tambourine, sample the sound, um, if that means I'm going to grab Fruity Loops, which I don't even, I have the demo version. I don't even own <laughs> FL Studio. <laughs> Danny, you know that about me. I've, yeah. I've had that demo for so long. On the, it's on um, your gateway, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a newer, older computer that I'm using, so you upgraded. I, I don't know if it's a Dell computer. I'm not sure. It's it's on death's door for sure. But as far as that goes, I do, I do believe that what he was saying is right. I do grab what is around me and I apply that, and I think that that stems all the way back to my childhood when. My parents didn't spoil me with a lot of toys. They would they would say, you know, uh, this is what we have for now. This is what you can play with. And I would find myself making my own toys through uh, paper and cardboard and, and get creative. And I do think the process, the creative process started really early on. So when I started getting my own stuff, like my first DAW, mm -hmm. it was... Uh, a cakewalk um very basic 
and I would just record stuff into that. I didn't do a whole lot of loop stuff. I would just grab whatever I had and put it into my microphone. And and um, another element to that is the the restrictions that I have with a microphone. There's been so many things that I've recorded directly into my iPhone. I have an idea of a harmony or something like that that I want to add. I'll send it into my iPhone (laughs) (laughs) and send the track to my Gmail, export (laughs) it to my desktop, drag it over into whatever DAW I've got at the time, and just kind of nudge them together. Talk about DIY. it is so yeah it's it's old it's an old approach but i will say it definitely adds to the creative process and i find myself then having to do first takes where i'll think okay i know what i want to sing here i'm just going to go for it and this is going to be the take so sometimes when i'm actually in a studio with someone I'll I'll hit it on between the first and third take, depending on what they need, uh, because of that practice that I have. It's not something that I tried to do, but it's just unfolded in a way that um, that I think has allowed for a lot of creativity to to jump in. Right. Yeah, I don't think anyone can ever say about you that you were that you're held back by your lack of gear or lack of stuff like that's never been a constraint on you yeah i've i found myself at times saying oh i quit art or i i'm I'm done writing music and the next day i'm making something (laughs) yeah yeah stop oh exactly exactly so then technical difficulties have been the strength and and a weakness but i think more of a strength because i just keep pushing through until I get what I want out of that. Mm-hmm. Now, what would you say, what's your desired outcome as a, uh, as a songwriter? Like when you have that finished product, it, what kind of experience are you looking for the listener to have? If any, I mean, do you, do you have a certain expectation of how they're going to receive it or a, a certain desire of how you want them to receive it? Or do you just not even think about that at all and just say, I just will let what I've done speak for itself and however they receive it is however they receive it? Yeah. Well, I think it just depends on what it calls for. If it's more of a soundtrack approach, I have to be more specific. But oftentimes I create a background and then I decide, will this have vocals at all? Will this be rap? Will this be, you know, something that's just only verses and maybe one chorus? Maybe the whole thing's like practically a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it really does vary. There's, there's um, a song called Remember that I did last year, and it's, I only use the word remember in it throughout and it's supposed to be a song that's kind of a test for people to see 
how each individual responds to the word remember, like what it makes them think of. Yeah. And so the the lulling experience of how atmospheric it is and uh, you know it's meant to be a comforting song so it really is like a test trial that i put out there to see what would happen and uh, you know if you guys do end up pulling it up tell me what comes to your mind and what you think of because i just started with with the one word and i thought you know let's just keep it at one word I really think that a lot of times we feel the need as musicians to fill the space with words the whole time. And, you know, when you go to a concert, the time that people applaud the most is when it starts to get to that instrumental section. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I think so. Or, uh, yeah, I guess what you're saying, like there's a buildup of excitement in sections where there isn't singing but then there's also the i would i would argue that if not what you're saying the instrumental sections the chorus like the chorus is really what people latch on to the most so if you're getting if you're getting hung up on like those verse lyrics i would almost say you know what is anyone even really listening to the verse lyrics uh (laughs) maybe a few people are but it's the chorus that really sticks with people so I should probably clarify that because it's like what I'm saying is uh, when it's something that bothers me when I go to concerts and say you're listening to the artists and they they stop singing and there's just a section of this instrumental and everyone's like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I'm just freaking out. And I just want to, I mean, I want to hear that I'm there to the concert so that I can hear the whole experience. Give me the song. Yeah. You want to listen to that section. You do. And I think that we're so conditioned from radio, especially to, to see music as being busy and filled with lyrics so that when that instrumental dropout happens, you find yourself feeling a little awkward, like, Oh no, the singer's not singing. Uh, I'll clap, you know? So, my approach is just varying song to song where I think, you know, this song will be so cluttered if I fill it with words. So I'm just going to step back and see what happens. And sometimes it's just instrumental. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally about all about the instrumental stuff. Some of my favorite music in the world has Same. doesn't have one lyric in it. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've heard some of your stuff too. I mean, some of the songs that you've showed me before just have that really beautiful atmospheric vibe that uh, you know is very relaxing. Well, thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. That's something I'm gonna try to keep in my music going forward. But this year, I really want to be intentional about uh, making making a record and, and, and I'm going to attempt to, to sing and have some lyrics and some songs, but some, maybe not. I mean, I, I don't know, like, I'm not going to put a lot of conditions on it, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. I I don't think, I don't think the lyrics are what, what make and break it. I mean, I would even say like what people really remember is more so than the lyrics is the hook because 
if you think about it, when people say, oh, you know, like pick a popular song or something and say, hey, what's your favorite part about this song or whatever? And they'll start singing it. They're not, it's not the words. It's the way the words are sung, the mm-hmm. melody of the words. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you take the words away and you just sing the melody or hum the melody, the melody is the song, not, not more so than the words, you know? Yeah. I guess yeah, it just depends on your perspective right. though. Cause I mean, some people are all about lyrics and I'm just not one of those people, but anyway. Yeah. Well, that's what sells records for yeah. sure. It's true. It's true. So, you know, you were, you were talking about soundtrack a little bit. If, uh, you know, just talking about how the listener is going to, going to receive what you're doing. So let's, let's bring that up. Cause I do want to get to that. Uh, you recently did a soundtrack for a little short film made by our buddy Josiah Burdick, who yeah, eventually I should yes. probably get him on, on the show here. But uh, So he did a little short film called Child Inside, and I just watched it uh, within the last couple of days. And uh, yeah, so why don't you tell us about about that process and what it's like to, to be writing music for such a specific purpose, like a, a soundtrack for, for a little short film. Yeah, I'm I'm very used to writing ideas for myself and creating music just based out of my own head. And so I wanted the challenge to lock in with Josiah and he had been talking to another guy about potentially doing it. And I said, man, pick me. I want to do this. I really want to do this project. of how passionate I was he said all right let's do it so yeah I think it was it was absolutely challenging but a very inspiring uh, piece of my life because I need that kind of information from someone else outside of my own head Mm -hmm. to help give me criticism and and the thing is in his situation, you know, he wrote this, he directed it, and he had the vision. And so I don't have the same vision originally that he had. And so he had to walk me through that yeah. so that I could get on the same page. And the interesting thing about that is, man, communication is so important because what is in his head is a difficult thing for him to translate to me mm-hmm. in song form because those are two different mediums. Right. And so I found myself thinking, man, um, I do know what he likes. I know what he's interested in. And he had, had originally mentioned John Bryan, who's done some phenomenal work in soundtracks, uh, like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and I heart Huckabee's, and so I had already been a fan of him. And so I thought, man, I, yeah, I can, I can bring something to the table that's like that. And that was the original direction. 
And after everything was filmed, we took a look at it, and I had essentially what this it was like an audio toolbox, if you will, hmm. of some ideas. And when trying to match that up with the visuals, we were like, man, we're going to have to go uh, an entirely different direction with this. Yeah. So we went from doing 14 songs, or see, I ended up creating a total of 14 songs, and we used, I believe it was five or six. Interesting. Okay, so you actually, you had a moment in there where you, you were going in the wrong direction, so there had to be like a an adjustment yeah. made. Yes. Yeah. And according to to Josiah as the director, we were going in the right direction, but then it once we saw that footage, it was just like, yeah, this is this is just not going to make any sense to piece these together. And it's going to sound like we just went on to, you know, music bed and grab some stuff. So Mm -hmm. we just really wanted to be customized as much as possible. And in the end, you know, Josiah was, was very happy about it. And I was really glad to be able to create something out of all the thousands of ideas that a person can have go through their head to specifically speak to a scene yeah. is is just mind-boggling to me. Is it more common, would you say, for a filmmaker to... Because you were talking about how it's kind of... It's difficult to, you know, to feel what the filmmaker feels. So would you say that it's more common for them to just kind of say... To tell you, you know, this is the, the emotion I want. Or do you find it... Is it easier for you to just watch the footage and then just kind of come up with something out of... Off of... Based on your own feelings, your own emotion. Like, how is it working with the filmmaker connecting in, in that way? Do you think it's easier to watch it and just kind of play off of your feelings or is it easier to just, you know, filmmaker says, this is what I want. And then you're going to write it. Like what's, how do you. Yeah. Well, this was the, the first, the first short film I've done. And I've done a little bit of soundtrack slash commercial kind of stuff before, but this was like Mm -hmm. a bigger project for me to take on. Yeah. And so. I felt like I I really wanted to get his insight, but I also am super thankful that he wanted to hear my insight. Mm. Uh, He was, he wasn't micromanaging. He was very flexible about it, uh, which made it so much easier to really join in conversation and just say, okay, this is what I think. This is where I think it could go, but what do you have in mind? And so we would just do that back and forth until it made sense and he signed off on it. Hmm. 
Okay. Interesting. So, so this wasn't, uh, you said it wasn't a micromanaged process. So he was, he was pretty much letting you loose then throughout the, throughout the project. Like he wasn't, uh, controlling you. Like he was just kind of giving you general pointers then kind of giving you an idea. And yeah. I guess that goes back to just talking about the, the vision that he had and, and, you know, like the ideas that were in his head, like all he really needed to do was just communicate to you what that was and then let you apply your skills and your talent towards his vision. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's just pretty much it. He was very good about that. And, you know, I've heard in the film world that some people can, as, as composers, they can tend to feel like what I mentioned earlier as a designer, where you get some that just say, hey, I want this. I want exactly this. Don't do anything outside of this. Just stick right. within this framework. And like, then they don't, don't put allow your stamp you to on build it. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this case, thankfully, he was generous. And I think that, well, you know, there, there were, it wasn't like every song that I gave him, he said, oh yeah, that's the one. It it was, there was still back and forth and, and, you know, I would sometimes say, well, the reason I had this sound come in at this time is because of this. And, and he'd say, well, what I'm wanting to do though, is not accent that spot. But maybe, you know, take it down a little bit here and then ex- make this section a little bit louder and, and really build this part. And mm-hmm. so with that kind of feedback, I was able to just tweak and, you know, no hard feelings, just more, just more of a, oh, okay, now that makes sense to me. I, I totally get what you're doing. And it just felt good, like you were you know, creating a piece of clothing or, you know, being very specific to creating a building, I guess, because that's just what design is. It it goes across so many platforms when you're customizing. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely right. And you know, how do you feel about cuz you know, you just mentioned that sometimes people will give you a, a they'll issue you a very specific directive and tell you this is what I want. Just execute this. Don't put any of your spin or like I don't want any, your stamp on this. Like just execute my idea and they're just I don't know, like I I can tell you my feeling on that is I I would not respond very well to that because I would feel like you know you're just you're just like using me as some kind of apparatus to accomplish <laughs> accomplish what you want. Uh, like yeah. I would prefer to be hired for something or enlisted in some kind of project because they they know what I do and they know what I'm capable of and they they want my coloring on it. They they want it, their project to be filtered through me. Like they, they specifically yeah. seek me out and seek what I have to bring to the table. Like kind mm-hmm. of like, I don't know. Um, 
this is a little controversial, but like say like journalism, like people think that there's such a thing as like completely objective reporting and like just tell us facts, facts, facts. But in reality, like I don't think good journalism is just a story with just pure facts. Like that would be boring. Everybody has like their certain viewpoint or their own uh, things that they bring to the table. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I want those things to be uh, introduced. I don't want just like this complete blank transparent slate to you know throw stuff up against if that makes any sense but yeah you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah i mean i think that somebody wouldn't come to me well if they came to me thinking they're getting on zimmerman it's a it's a major mistake yeah <laughs> i'm not i won't be able to deliver and i'll be very disappointed the whole time but if they want something that is going to match their film, as in their film is a little off kilter, you yeah, know, a little is, bit quirky, is abstract, you know, I can deliver on that. Hmm. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not the kind of person that likes the idea of everything is just this completely neutral, blank kind of gray and. You know, like if someone wants Jonathan for this, it's because Jonathan does Jonathan things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not talking nonsense, yeah. but you know, I just, I, yeah, no, that is absolutely right. I think it's really smart. It's like what I was saying earlier with, with asking questions. If you're, if your client is saying, you know, I want this and this and this and this, and you start asking questions and getting deeper, you may realize and you may even have to talk them out of hiring you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine so I that. I think you understand. <laughs> imagine that, yeah. It, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, our last, um, a, a couple episodes ago, I guess, we had one of my former professors who's a graphic designer, and we talked a little bit about, you know, introducing your own kind of spin or your own taste into a project that, someone else is employing you to do and his take on it was sometimes sometimes you stand up and you go to bat for your ideas and other times you don't like you pick your battles and so you know he thought sometimes it's appropriate to to introduce your own kind of signature on some things and other times it's not uh you know yeah. and and so that just got me thinking about like do you do you really have that luxury or maybe like after you're really established, you have that luxury of, um, you know, uh, some, like when someone wants to hire you accepting the job or not, like sometimes you can almost tell that, like you just said, like talk them out of hiring you. Like you can just tell like, you know, you're not really going to like what I have to offer, but I really want, but I need the job. So you just take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, for my situation, I mean, I've, I'm married. I have a son who, uh, who's almost two years old. And, you know, those thoughts do come in my mind as far as what, uh, what's going to pay the bills and that kind of thing. But the yeah. truth is, I don't, I don't really want to not only deceive somebody else that would hire me, I don't want to deceive myself in the process and I don't want to put my family through the ringer just for 
a few extra bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, so that's, I, th- I think that's I think, powerful. I think being loyal to yourself as an artist and being committed to who you are and what you are able to to offer is a is a big deal. I would I would wholeheartedly agree, and I think that's powerful that even someone like you who's married with a kid can still recognize that, you know, there's going to be some times when saying yes to something isn't the right thing, even though the money would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 <laughs> yeah, mean, it, I have a lot of respect for you for, for taking that position. Well, thank you. I, I'm just a firm believer that if, if fear is the motivation, it's probably a bad idea. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, simple as, as simple as it sounds, I think that's that's spot on. All right, so kind of kind of to wrap things up, this is kind of one of my last questions here, and this one, bear with me because okay. it's a little bit long, but it gets it, it. You know, there's a resolution here, so just bear with me. So I wanted to ask you, this is kind of a a pretty broad philosophical question that kind of just wraps up everything we've gone over. So. For a person that's got a lot of talent like you, you've got a lot of different talents and there's a lot of different avenues that you express that talent through. Now, you've also taken that talent and you've developed it into a skill. So so you've got talent, but you've also got skills to pair along with that. And so at the end of the day, if very few people were to ever discover you in the in the talent and skill you have, whether it's acting or graphic design or music or whatever it is, why do you continue to do what you do? Some people do it because they want to make a career out of it. You know, they want to they want to do it for the money. Some want fame, uh, but I, I think you're different than that. So, what's your motivating factor to keep you going with your artistic endeavors? Well, I am. I I don't know how to stop. I I know that art is in my DNA. It's something that, uh, you know, has been something that's hard to explain to people. I've had schools kind of trying to check out my brain and see what the heck is going on in there. I've, I've had, you know, people thinking, you know, what's up with this guy? Uh, why does he do what he does? And no matter no matter the situation, I just find myself not able to quit doing what I'm doing. And that's something I don't fully know how to explain. I've, I've verbalized to myself that I'm done. Like I said earlier, when I get frustrated with something and it really is just moments later that I'm back on the game. Mm. So when it comes to art, I just, I'm just that. Yeah. And I think it's trying to, trying to tell a child not to walk and, and to stop laughing and to stop and lose the imagination. I just, I don't know how to do that. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really something like, little kids man like they they just they don't really think about what they do like they just keep going and just just keep 
uh, like they're curious, you know, and like they just keep exploring and, and yeah. trying to pick up new things and, and, and figure out what's going on in their environment. And like they, they just keep going and going and going. And so you're saying you're pretty much like that. Like it's like your DNA. You don't even know how to, how to stop if you want to. Yeah. It's, it is a childlike feature that I'm not willing to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> so if you never got the fame or the money or any, or any success behind music or whatever, just artistic kind of stuff, you're, you're telling me that you're just going to keep going no matter what. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, I think if I was, you know, laying in the hospital, puking in a bedpan, I would still make a song out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just put a little rhythm behind it and then that's it, you know? (laughs) Some percussion on the bedpan. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, That's great, man. I, I love it. I love it a lot and really appreciate you coming on here and just just sharing some insights with uh with with all of us and the listeners for the for the things that that you do so where can people go to find out more about what you do yeah i'm on Bandcamp, so you can go to john devon and look that up there's a search bar inside Bandcamp, and john devon is j-o-n-n-d as in david e-v-o-n Okay. And if you're looking for my music, or sorry, my uh, my acting reel, you can look up John Devon on Vimeo. Vimeo, got it. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's here's the last thing. This is the parting uh, parting question here. So do you have any advice or encouragement that you would like to to offer up to the listeners here who who made be into some similar things as you coming from someone who is he sees all the behind the scenes stuff and knows the game and he i mean yeah you're going to want to get an award but then you're going to want to get a second award because that first award wasn't enough yeah and so let's just say stay in the game because you love playing the game because you love the art because you love making a painting or doing pottery or singing, whatever the case do it because you're enjoying it and not for the sake of the dollar bill. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are out there. They've got the fame, but they're sellouts. They sold out for the money and the fame. And then, and then they've completely lost the core of what it was supposed to be all along. It's like, it's because, you know, it's like an M and M with the outer shell, but the chocolate on the inside is missing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the core has been hollowed out and stripped out. Mm. And, and, yeah. and that's, yeah, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, I think at least for me, I can, just by listening to certain music, I can almost tell which people are that and which ones aren't, you know? Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I do want to clear up like any misunderstandings because I've heard some people say things like, um, you know, you're a sellout if, and then it's like, 
if you're making money doing what you're doing. That's not what you're saying. I know you're not saying no, that. No, not at all. But like if you're making money doing what you're doing, great, you know, support your family and support yourself. But in, in the middle of it, don't lose yourself and forget like, this is what you enjoy. This is, this is not just a job. Like this is something that, that you are made for. Mm -hmm. And if it becomes outside of that, then that's where the danger is. Uh, you know, again, fear directing your life and deciding for you instead of you making that choice. Yep. And that's why I got to give my hat tip to a person like Hans Zimmer, because, uh, he, I believe he's on the record as saying that there was a time when he was in a band and they were working on a lot of stuff that was kind of secondary and the music itself was becoming secondary and all these other things like the image and the management and the, you know, just all of that other periphery type stuff, or at least what should be on the periphery became more important and the music element got lost and that's all he was ever in it for was just the music stuff. Like that's what makes him come alive. Like he's a true music lover. And so then like, that's what got him into wanting to make these soundtracks is because he's like, look, all I want to do is just write the music. And obviously this guy is like mega successful and has definitely uh, transformed himself into like a, an icon in his respective field and making tons of money doing it. But I think that's a person that's really maintained their, their uh, artistic integrity and uh, not a sellout. You know what I mean? And so definitely, definitely supports what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that story. So that's cool. I think I had actually, I might've even said Hans Zimmerman (laughs) earlier. I, I was, I meant Zimmer. So, Zimmer, Zimmer, not the politician, okay. not the Germany guy. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a politician with that name, but whatever. <laughs> all right, all right, man. Th- thanks a lot. I'm not going to take any more of your time because you've been so generous with us, giving us uh, a good portion of your evening here. So we want to say thanks for coming on the show, John, and and sharing with us uh, different pieces of your life and and you know a look inside. I, you know, kind of. I I almost want to say it's like it's like opening up the the hood of a car and looking underneath the hood, seeing what goes <laughs> goes into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, that's... I'm I'm just excited that you guys are doing what you're doing, and really glad to be you know on the top ten guests. There you of go. Your show. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> top ten. Yeah, one of the first ten all time. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, man. We're gonna keep doing what we're doing. You know, we're we're gonna keep uh, reaching out to people who are doing cool stuff and finding out what's behind it. That's really all this show's about. So, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, John. We'll talk soon, and uh, in the future, we'll uh, we'll probably talk to you about bringing you back and maybe doing another round of this. So we'll see. I'd love to. Thank you. All right, right on, brother. You take care. God bless. We'll see you soon. Take care, man. All right. All right. Later, man. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
right, that was Jonathan Swihart. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. I really yeah. enjoyed listening to what he had to say. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, you know, I think these are just going to keep getting better and better as we go along. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry, guys. There's sometimes, I don't know what happened to me, but towards the end of this thing, like, I just was unable to articulate a thought without just my train of thought just being completely derailed. But I'm sure I'm not the only person like that. You know, sometimes everyone has those days when you're in the middle of a thought and then you just lose it. You don't remember where you were going with it. Oh, yeah. So that happened to me, but I I did my best to clean up the damage there and just keep going. <laughs> you'll have that. that. Yeah, you'll you'll have that you'll sometimes, have that. but you know. But John had some good stuff to say and and it and it all makes sense really uh at the end of the day. And he had some 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 good points and some some good thoughts to share. So Yeah. Yeah. Um we have uh one last thing to do before uh before we get out of here. Picks, picks, picks. Yep. Going to talk about uh, what we're picking for the week. What you into this week? I need my little little sound graphic here. Mm. All right. Now go ahead. All right. You want to go first or you want me to go first? <sighs> you know what? You usually go or first. Sure, you both blurted out at the same time. All right. <laughs> One, One, two, two three. three. There's an album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to go the music route. Yeah. Um, me too, actually. Yeah, you know, there's nothing, to be honest, there isn't really anything in particular that I'm into this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is there isn't anything that I've discovered that's new mm. this week. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, you're like, just kind of going over things that you already knew about, but in more depth, maybe. Than, yes, yes. Yeah. Like, uh, there's there's a, there's an album that I, I've been listening to, and I'm going to pick make that my pick for this week because I've kind of been playing it more <laughs> than usual. Uh, so there is a, uh, and you know what? I think it's appropriate because this this artist is a husband and wife duet from Nashville, hmm. and uh, I think that's relevant because Jonathan talked about doing acting with him and his uh, wife. He did he sure? So did. I'm making connecting the dots. Very there. good. Yeah. So the group is called Johnny Swim. That's all one word. Uh, J. I don't know if there's an H in there. It's either it's J O N N Y. S-W-I-M. I don't think there's an H in that Johnny. Okay. But yeah, Johnny Swim. It's a husband and wife duet from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, their music is... Um, let's see how I can describe this. Uh, it, some of it is kind of singer-songwriter. Kind of folky? Kind of. Kind of like... <clears throat> there's kind of like some folk rock. Okay. Um, but also mixed in with pop hmm. and a little bit of like bluesy kind of elements and uh it's it's a good unique it's good it's it's nice and upbeat and uh hmm. i dig it yeah and so their their most recent album is called georgica pond cool and uh yeah i've been jamming it and uh really digging it just really good really good hooks and then <laughs> the 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 girl can really sing like she's just got a great set of pipes on her and yeah. the guy has a really nice kind of sweet and tender soulful kind of huh. voice so uh, now, are they just behind the mic singing, or are they also playing instruments? Um, I uh, the guy is he's okay. a guitar player, okay. um, mostly on acoustic, I believe, and then huh. uh, the uh, the wife or the lady there, I I think she's just singing. Huh. So very cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, check it out. Awesome. Uh, my pick of the week uh, is a guitarist by the name of Guthrie Govan. Govan uh, or Govan? What's I think it's I've, I used to say way? Govan, but. 
uh, my my neighbor who who seems to know his stuff in music is saying Govan, so I've switched. I've converted over to the pronunciation Govan. You changed parties. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure which is correct, but who cares? So, anyways, I I I'm learning this solo in this. By, uh, it's a song called uh, Ancestral by uh, the previous artist uh, who I, I mentioned. Um, it was a couple. I think it was was it like last week or last episode we did. Or um, maybe it was the one I don't remember which one it was, but um, what are you referring to? Uh, I'm gonna have to cut this part out because I can't even remember his name. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Um, Stephen Wilson. Yeah, Stephen Wilson. There, I remembered for you. <laughs> yeah, there. We don't have to cut it anymore. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, Stephen Wilson. Um, he has a song called Ancestral, and and Guthrie Govan played a lot on his record. And uh, it's just an amazing solo, really difficult, challenging yeah. him, having to slow it down to learn it. I need to actually listen to that guy's music because I, yeah. I, uh, I looked up his record, uh, just the cover of it, so I could put it on everylastdroppodcast.com slash picks, which, by the way, you oh, should yeah. visit, everylastdroppodcast.com slash picks. Yes, Again, sure. everylastdroppodcast.com slash picks. Yeah. <laughs> they say that if you say things three times, that really cements it. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I was... Uh, and I thought the album art was amazing. Yeah, isn't it good? It's really cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is the music even better? I think so. It should be. Yeah. 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 So Guthrie played on his record. He did. He's got this really beautiful solo. It's probably on my top five favorite guitar solos of all time, actually. Um, it's just very, uh, emo- there's so much emotion in it. Like after, it's towards the end of the song and uh, it's just unreal. The stuff he's doing, the technical things. But it's not all shredding. It's, you know, there's nice full step yeah. pitch bending and just Do stuff you think that people you who feel. aren't guitar players can understand it the way you do? Dude, that is such a good question. I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't. Like, how do you not feel something? Yeah. You know, it's like... I mean, music is very emotionally charged. Yeah. I, I do think as a guitarist, I, I probably do feel it more. Or at then, least you understand it more. Yeah, I, un- I perhaps understand it more than, you know, just a non-musician listening to, to the, the yeah. song, but I don't know. I think everybody can feel it. Not everybody can understand it, but everybody should be able to feel it mm-hmm. as long as they're not a robot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Some, some, some people who they, can't... They just don't get ...can't it. connect yeah. in that way, but I, I think the majority of the people are are able to at least feel what's in it mm-hmm. if they can't understand yeah. what it is that they're hearing. But anyway, yeah, that's a good pick. I'm going to look that one up yeah. myself. Check them out. So Guthrie Govan. Yep. So, yeah, do us a favor, everybody. <laughs> uh, head on over to everylastdroppodcast.com where we have uh, everything you need to know about the show is there. You know, uh, there's... Um, a feed of all our episodes is right on the homepage. You can comment. Uh, you know, we're on SoundCloud. If you're listening on to this on SoundCloud, I do want to remind you that we are on iTunes and Stitcher. So whether you are an iPhone person or whether you are an Android person, you can listen to us wherever you go. And if you could take a moment to leave us a nice review, keyword there is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would really appreciate that. Uh, in all seriousness, though, like if someone wants to leave a review and trash us, there's really nothing I can do about that. You don't have anything nice to say. Don't say it at all. Exactly. That's right. So I, I, I would appreciate 
a nice review truthfully um so thank you to those who have been listening uh <coughs> our episode with joe gonzalez which by the time this is out will have been probably a couple episodes ago mm. um has done quite well um mm. A lot of plays pretty quickly um, got up to about the same amount as our episode with Christopher Franzen. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Uh, if you like the show, share the show. You yeah. can share it on wherever you do your social media and and let let everybody else know about it if you think it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably going to do we're going to do a little bit of uh, you know well I'll talk to you about this later but mm. we're, we're going to plan some uh, just some things to kind of incentivize you to uh to, to share the show and and, and s- spread the word about it mm. uh but just for right now you listening to the show is is enough support for me so i do appreciate it nick you appreciate it i do yeah thank so, you guys thanks for coming back and uh we will uh we'll catch up with you next time all right later guys all right, next time